And uh, if you could open that up to Acts chapter 21. I really need everybody in the Bible, if you could have your Bible open, Acts chapter 21. Bit of an echo in here, that's to gain prominence in my voice. Actually, I don't really think that was it, but uh, we're getting that straightened out. So Acts chapter 21. Uh, We have a lot to look at in this message, and I'm going to start out by telling you a true historical story of a guy that I really particularly like. I appreciate his story because, as you're about to hear, he failed. His name was Thomas Bilney. He was alive all the way back in the 16th century, and Thomas Bilney had gained a copy of the newly printed Tyndale English Bible back in the 16th century. That was a uh, pretty recent accomplishment to get a printed Bible. And when he read it, when Bilney read it, he realized that Christ came into this world to save sinners. And he proclaimed, and I'm quoting him, I am the greatest of sinners, but Christ saves sinners. At last, I have heard of Jesus. Now, friends, do you know how many people all around you have never, ever heard of the name of Jesus other than a profanity? We are discovering it all over the place here in America. People have not heard the message of Jesus. Well, Bilney did, and it was so powerful, it saved him. And his power, he became a preacher, and his powerful preaching initiated the Reformation in England, and in 1527, the might of the Catholic Church reared up and had him arrested. He was put in London Tower, now I want you to hear this, that meant he was on death row, but they craftily allowed his friends to visit in hopes that his friends could persuade him to not become a martyr and to recant of his faith. And they succeeded. They convinced him that his life was too important to die as a martyr. And on December 7th, 1527, Thomas Bilney signed a document denying his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, our aim today is to learn from the Apostle Paul how to discern and love God's will. That's what we're about to try to learn. That topic of God's will is so vast that there's no way that in 30, 35 minutes we can really learn a tremendous amount, but I'm going to do the very best I can how to get us started and how to discern and love God's will. Now, let me get everybody's attention. Even if you're younger or if you're older, you know that you want to know God's will. You want to discern it. You, like me, are at countless intersections in life, and you have to make choices. And sometimes those choices the right way to go is shrouded in fog. How do you know what God wants you to do? And how do you learn to love what God wants you to do? That's what we're going to try to tackle today. And just as another disclaimer, this is such a large subject. 
that we're, uh, we're not going to really discuss the, se- the differences between what theologians divide between God's secret will and God's revealed will. By the way, I hope you're here next week because I'm going to clearly show you what God's will is for your life. And it's going to, it's going to be a very good primer for Thanksgiving, so I hope you're here next week. But God's secret will just for you to understand what that means, is known to himself and he sovereignly executes it on earth, but his revealed will, he makes it clear on the pages of scripture as the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds and guides us through life. We're going to really focus on God's redeemed will. I'll give you an example of God's will. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So there's God's will. Again, I hope you're here next week. Yet much of life is shrouded in a fog, as I said moments ago, and we anxiously sit sometimes at these intersections, making what feels like massive life-affecting decisions. And what we really need in those moments is God's guidance. And as an introduction to the subject of God's revealed will, there's three important principles that we're going to see in the life of Paul in this passage. So here we go. Acts chapter 21. I have three principles that's going to help you know and love God's will. Well, I don't think I'm overstating it when I say this. I hope you're listening as if your life depends on it, because I truly believe all three of these will be life-changing if you bring them down into your heart through faithful obedience. Here we go. Principle number one. The Holy Spirit reveals the will of God and guides us through life. And let me say that again. The Holy Spirit reveals the will of God and guides us through life. Now, even that, I could just stop there. And there's enough power in that principle statement that can guide and affect and transform your life. The Spirit of God reveals God's will. What that means is this, that if you want to know God's will, you cannot solve it like a mathematical equation. You cannot figure it out. You cannot somehow master the knowledge of the Bible and then you know God's will. No, God's will belongs to him and he must reveal it to us. That is massive and very, very different than a lot of us understand. In fact, Isaiah 55 verse 9 begins to get at this disparity or this gulf between, this gap between God's knowledge and our ability to know. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, God says, higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. So how are you going to know God's will if we're stuck at a cap or a boundary or a limit or a ceiling and yet God is so infinitely above us, you cannot climb to the heights and wrangle the the will out of God, the information, he must bring it down to you. And he doesn't give you a magic eight ball. 
He doesn't teach you to go what we used to do all the time as children, and some of you probably, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by his toe, you remember the rest of it. That's not how you make life decisions, nor does he download a file and you double click on that by faith and up on the screen of your mind appears the will of God for your life. It won't work like that. It never has and never will. God streams his will. Did you hear that? You cannot download it by faith and double click. He must stream his will to us. He does that. And the Bible makes no mystery of this. It says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the world. In other words, don't be pressed into the world's mold. Don't look like the world. Don't live like the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So here we go. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now watch the rest of this. That by testing, you may discern, not figure it out. God must reveal it. You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So listen, friends, here's, here's what we're discovering already very early on in this message. As God's word fills your mind and you believe it and you obediently act on it, you're going to be transformed. And when you are transformed, God will enable you to know and understand his will. Now, how do we see this in the Apostle Paul? Now, I need you to get into the Bible with me. Acts chapter 21 is where you are right now, but I need you to go back probably two pages in your Bible to Acts chapter 19. We got to get a bit of a running head start before we get back to 21. Look at Acts 19 verse 21. And Luke, who is the author of Acts, writes these words. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must see, I must also see Rome. So look at that phrase, resolved in the spirit. That means to surrender to the spirit. Now, this has particular importance because we're about to sing at the end of this service a song called Surrender. So I want you to really think through this. To be resolved in the Spirit means surrender to the Spirit. It really means to lay down. It means you give up, you lay down before one greater than you. You, re- you surrender to the Spirit of God. And he was willing, Paul was, to return to Jerusalem and then to go to Rome. He knew the Spirit of God was telling him, go to Jerusalem, then you're going to go to Rome. He had to surrender to that. He had resolved in the spirit. Now look at Acts 20, verse 22, if you would. I'm building a case for our point. The Holy Spirit reveals the will of God and guides us through life. Acts 20, verse 22, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. And now he says, constrained by the Spirit. That's a different word. That's a different word. If you really want to know what that word looks like, go to Acts 21, verse 33, and you'll see a phrase, he was bound by chains. So this word constrained by the Spirit means to be bound by the Spirit. He is tied up by the Spirit. Now I want you to think like this. He was put in handcuffs by the Spirit. Not literally, of course, but inwardly in his heart. He was bound by the Spirit, constrained. 
So now we know he was resolved in the spirit. That means he surrendered to the spirit and he was bound or constrained by the spirit. And he is certain, he is settled that God's will for him was to go to Jerusalem and look at chapter 20, verse 22, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, here's what's happening. Now, I want you to, I'm going to clear something up really quickly because unfortunately, this, this can be the response of some people. Because you might be thinking, well, this is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. I'm not a spiritual giant like Paul. It doesn't work this way for me. Yes, it does, Christian brother and sister. The Holy Spirit streams his will into your mind and into your heart as you are no longer conformed to the image of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you are enabled to know and test and discern God's will. Paul kept hearing from the Spirit. The Spirit kept streaming, testifying to him in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaited him. Paul, here's where you're going. Here's what you're going to be facing. And when the, the Spirit of God gives you where he wants you to go, he gives you the power to go. He always does a work internally so that you are ready for what's external to you. He does a work internal to you to make you ready for what's coming externally to you. This is the way the Spirit of God always works in all of his people as we walk faithfully with him. See, the Spirit of God kept making it clear, and he is about to do that even more clearly, but he's going to have an obstacle. Principle number two. Now, here is number one. The Spirit of God is going to reveal his will. He streams it, doesn't download it into a file, so you get the whole picture, you get the whole plan. He won't do that. You get it one step at a time. The Word of God lights up one step at a time. Principle number two, listen to counsel, but keep God's Word the loudest of all. Now watch what's about to happen to Paul. This settled resolve and constraint that was in the life of Paul did not keep him from listening to godly friends, but it kept him from putting the counsel of godly friends above the counsel of the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And let me explain that through a story. Martin Luther was summoned to the diet of worms, and you might be thinking, oh my goodness, is that like the keto diet? A diet is an assembly. That's what it meant in old English like that. It's a, it actually can still mean that. It meant an assembly where, a, like a legislative assembly, where a legal decision is going to be made. And Worms is a city in Germany. So a diet of worms was a legal assembly in Worms, Germany. And Luther was summoned, actually commanded to come because he's gonna to have to defend his teachings against the charge of the Catholic Church that said he was a heretic. And if the Catholic Church wins the debate, 
then Luther is going to face death. He's going to be burned at the stake. And a very prominent, very close friend of Martin Luther pleaded with him not to go. He kept telling Martin Luther, do not go, do not go. Your life is too valuable. You cannot give it up. Too many people need you. But Luther answered him, quote, if there were more devils and worms than tiles on the roofs, still I would go. He was resolved and he was constrained, just like Paul. Now, let me tell you what happened. He got to Worms, Germany, attended the diet. The very first day, the pressure on Luther was so intense to recant. That means to basically disavow what you were teaching, to admit you're a heretic, allow them to burn your books. The pressure was so intense on Luther to recant that he actually requested a night to pray and consider. And that night, the Spirit of God strengthened his resolve and gave him courage. The Spirit of God will always do a work internal to you so that you can face what's coming external to you. Christian brother and sister, you need to believe that. You will never face anything in life that the Spirit of God is not already and planning on preparing you to deal with. The following day when Luther got up and he went back to the second day of the Diet of Worms, the meeting hall was packed. There was so many people that attended. They had to move to a different and larger hall. And now Charles V, the emperor of Rome, was present. And there was a furious debate until Luther finally said, I'm going to quote, and you can see it on the screen, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures and by clear reason, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. And here reportedly with the words that he ended with, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me, amen. See, Luther was resolved he was constrained. He had surrendered. He was bound by the Spirit. The Spirit of God had done an internal work to help him endure what he was going to face externally. And what would come and what he would endure and how he would have victory would be one of the most important moments in human history. Now back to Acts 21. Look at verse 1. Luke is writing and he says, when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz and the next day to Rhode and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. Now look at verse four. They stopped in Tyre for a week and Paul met with the disciples there. And verse four, and through the spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, are you hearing this? Because these are godly friends. These are Christian brothers. This is the church. 
And Luke has already told us in chapter 19 and chapter 20, Paul, the Spirit of God, had been saying to Paul that you're going to go to Jerusalem, you're going to face imprisonment and affliction, and Paul knew he was resolved, he surrendered, he was bound, he was constrained to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome with the gospel message, and now his godly friends are telling him, do not go to Jerusalem. Now it's going to get worse. Paul, however, continued on. He boarded with his team. There was about nine men with him. We met them in chapter 20, and they arrived at Ptolemaeus for one day before proceeding on to Caesarea, where they stayed with Philip for a week. Philip, the famous disciple, the one, uh, the deacon, he led the eunuch, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. He's staying with that Philip. He's got four daughters. They were prophetesses. This is a godly family. Paul is trying to make it to Jerusalem by Pentecost. It occurs 50 days after Passover. So here we go. It's late April, early May, AD 57. And he's in now Caesarea. And during that week, a prophet named Agabus, the same one who in Acts 11 predicted a a worldwide famine came to Paul, look at verse 11, and he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And look at verse 12. The church in Caesarea, along with his own team, including Luke, the author of Acts, urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. So here we've got the Spirit of God saying one thing, and it seems like the entire church saying something else. They all love Paul. We've got a clear prophecy that what the Spirit of God has been internally preparing Paul for is about to come true, that he is going to face affliction and imprisonment. Agabus clearly prophesied that. They don't want him to suffer. They don't want him to die. They don't want Jerusalem to be the end of him. Surely they're thinking this cannot be God's will. All right, now friends, let's listen, let's think, let's put this, ourselves into these situations. Let's say that somebody, a Christian brother or sister, comes to you and they're wondering, they're sensing that maybe God's will is this direction and you know that if they go that direction, then things are going to be difficult for them and you love them. Are you going to love them so much that you won't be able to see what God might be doing rather than what you want to do? Do you see the danger of this? Do you see why we listen to counseling? There's safety in a multitude of counselors, but you've got to have your mind filled with God's word. You've got to have your eyes in God's word. You've got to have the spirit of God streaming his will to your mind. If none of that is happening, you could very well and very easily go contrary to the direction of the spirit. Paul finally says in verse 13, what are you doing, church? Weeping and breaking my heart. In other words, why are you weakening my resolve? Do you see that's what he's really saying? 
Why are you making it so difficult to me to obey the Spirit of God who has made it clear to me and he's been doing an internal work preparing me for an external situation and now you're beginning to do an internal work that's not preparing me and weakening my resolve to face the certain imprisonment and affliction that I've known is coming. And finally, verse 14, they ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. You see, we are to seek counsel from godly, mature friends, but you weigh their advice against the scriptures that have been impressed upon you as you're walking with God. Because you're going to be at countless intersections that have all kinds of fog. Should I take this job offer? Should I marry this person? What career should I pursue? And this sermon and Paul's example, while it is not the full answer to knowing God's will, there is yet, however, one final principle that can give you the confidence to live out God's will. And here it is. Principle number three, our final one is loving God is the secret to living his will with confidence. Loving God is the secret to living his will with confidence. Now, before I blaze ahead, because this is going to be a bit of a new angle for some of us, let me remind you of our journey in the last 22 minutes, all right? Here's what we've learned. God's will is streamed to us. What you need to know tomorrow from the Spirit of God will probably not be given to you today. What he will give you is the internal work that will prepare you for what's coming as you walk with him and he gives you resolve and constraints, surrender, and you're bound. And then we learned that your friends, your godly friends, certainly, you should appeal to for counsel. I would be extremely careful to be very discerning if you, if you go to a non-believer for life-changing decisions. I did not say don't go to them. Just be extremely discerning and bring everything they say back to the Word of God. But even when you go to Christians and you have godly friends, their love for you may outweigh their clear discernment. And so you've got to be having the streaming of the Spirit of God. He's got to be the loudest voice. But now, finally, this is the most important one, to me at least. Loving God is the secret to living His will with confidence. Look at verse 13. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Why are you weakening my resolve? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to hear this. It's going to seem so unspectacular in the beginning. He says, for the name of the Lord Jesus. For the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's settle a couple things. I'm going to unpack that. God, friends, is never going to give you a spiritual GPS with turn-by-turn directions of life. That's not happening. Why would you need to depend on him if he did? If he gave you your whole plan and plotted it out, then you'd be done depending on God. You wouldn't need to live by faith. You easily could live by sight. He will not do this. The Christian walk is a walk of faith. He will not give you or me a spiritual GPS with turn-by-turn directions in life. What he does give 
and here it is, is the want to to do what he wants us to do. Now, if you're writing things down right now, I just said the most important part of this message. He gives us the want to to do what he wants us to do. Now, do me a favor if you're young. Settle that now and master it, unlike me, and it will save you from so much anxiety. He will, this will save you from so much confusion. God will give you the want to to do what he wants you to do. How does that work? It begins like this, Psalm 37, 4, Christian brother and sister. Delight yourself in the Lord. You know what that the word delight means in the Hebrew? It's the Hebrew word onag. It means to be soft and delicate. It means to have a soft, pliable, shapeable heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Meaning, God is not a vending machine. You plop your quarter of faith in and pop out whatever you wanted him to give you. That's not what that means. He's not going to give you all the desires that have been raging in your heart. He's going to give you the desires that he's been putting in your heart. In fact, in other words, he's going to put his desires in your heart because God will give you the want to to do what he wants you to do. You see, the key to knowing and living and loving God's will is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is why Augustine, way back in the fourth century, said one of the most incredibly, wildly, truthfully impactful things I've ever heard. And it's all in about seven words. Love God and do what you want. Oh, but don't do what you want without loving God because you're going to go into a hedonistic, desire-satisfying lifestyle which will end in a shipwreck. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and do what you want because he's going to be putting his desires in your heart. What you want will be what he wants you to want. And as you worship and walk with God, Philippians 2, verse 13, he is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. How do you want to know how to do the will of God? Then love God and do what you want because what you want has been, put in, been putting in there by the Spirit of God. He's been changing our desires and those desires will produce God-glorifying actions. You see, knowing and loving God's will, this is the corrective. Knowing and loving God's will is not really about having the right information. It's rarely about that. It is having a heart transformation with his desires planted deeply in you, affecting your choices in life. And that might seem way too simple to you, yet the Bible teaches this principle by both precept, command, and by example. Now notice in Acts 21 verse 13. Paul was ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I've got to unpack this. It won't take long. The Spirit of God had prepared Paul for this. 
literally from the moment that Paul was saved decades earlier as Jesus appeared in a vision to a man named Ananias. And he says, and I'm reading it to you from the lips of Jesus, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine, Paul is, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Well, wait a minute. What did we just read in verse 13? I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And just days after being saved, Jesus is already saying, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You know, Jesus met with him. Theologians believe commentaries believe those who are experts in the word of God believe that when it says Paul said he was caught up in the third heaven that means he was caught up and Jesus personally taught him what he needed to know about the gospel but all along the way the spirit of God kept testifying you're going to suffer for me I'm going to do an internal work in you to prepare for what's coming externally and what's coming Paul is suffering for the sake of my name. In fact, Paul would later say in Philippians, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Do you see the want to in Paul to do what he wanted to do? The want to was everything in life for Paul was living for the name of Jesus, for the sake of his name. He wanted to know God and make him known. And it galvanized his entire life. It was an all-consuming desire. All right, now I'm almost done. So let me ask you some really searingly blistering questions that you need to ask yourself. You're brave enough to do it. What's the desires that are raging most powerfully in your heart? Be honest. Just think about it. You don't need to yell them out. Just privately be honest before the Lord. What are the raging desires that are in your heart because they're ruling you? You're living your life because those desires are motivating that. And if those desires are for this world and the things of this world, maybe it's for your career, maybe it's for um, you know, comfort in this life, maybe it's for fame, maybe it's for popularity, Actually, maybe it's for revenge. Maybe you're unforgiving. Maybe there's bitterness that is spread by which many are defiled. Maybe there is something inside of you that when your mind goes on neutral, you find yourself coming back to it all the time. That's the raging desire in your life. And what I'm wanting you to ask and what I've got to ask for myself is, is that desire for the glory of God? Is that which has gripped me that which will bring glory to my God. See, the principle is this. Loving God is the secret to living his will with confidence. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And if you're loving God, and that's the desire in your heart like it was for Paul, then do what you want. Because what you want has been already poured into your heart by the Spirit of God. Well, I'm going to close 
But I'm going to take you all the way back to the beginning with that guy named Thomas Bilney. I told you I love this guy. He's actually one of my heroes. I didn't tell you the rest of the story. I only told you the first part of the story. Here's the rest of the story. The day after Thomas Bilney recanted, it was a Sunday. He recanted on a Saturday. Now it's a Sunday. And they walked him through the main road from the Tower of London to St. Paul's Cathedral. And when he got there, he listened to a sermon that denounced his heresy. Just outside the cathedral doors, they had a stack of Tyndale's Bibles. You remember he got saved by reading a Tyndale Bible? And it would be Bilney's job to light that stack of Tyndale Bibles on fire as evidence that he really did recant. It shattered Bilney's soul. He did. He lit it on fire, shattered his soul. And he made up his mind that he would preach again one day and he would gladly give his life as a martyr for Christ. That opportunity came as he was again arrested in 1531. It's August 8th. He spent his last night on earth in a dark, damp cell, again now with friends all around him, five of them, but these friends would hold him fast to Christ, not talk him out of his testimony. And they gave him words to strengthen him and encourage him. And they spoke about the flames. He was going to be burned at the stake. They spoke about the flames being cooled by the Spirit of God. This is a true story, friends. When Bilney finished his final meal on this earth, he pushed his plate away, pulled his Bible over to where they were sitting, surrounded by his five friends, and in silence, he rested his elbow on the table and put his finger over the flame of the candle and held it there until that fire burned away the flesh to the bone. He then read from Isaiah 42, 2, when thou walkest through the fire, you shall not be burnt. The next day as they took him from the cell, he literally ran and embraced the stake. They would tie you to the stake and they would put brush and wood all around you and gunpowder in your beard because they wanted it to be spectacular when the flame reached your face. He, he ran to the, the stake and he embraced it and he thanked God for having a second opportunity to die for Christ. He did not cringe in fear. He fearlessly took the opportunity to die for his Lord. And as the flames slowly consumed him, he persevered through the trial and held on to his confession of faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. His confidence in Christ endured to his very last breath. You see, the Spirit of God, friends, will prepare you internally to face whatever you will go through externally. And he will stream his will 
And as you walk with him and your mind is being transformed, your life is being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will be resolved in the spirit and constrained by the spirit. You will be surrendered to the spirit and bound by the spirit. And friends will come around you. And when they occasionally love you more than they love God's word, love you more than they're clearly able to discern God's will, you will already be hearing the clear voice of the Spirit of God and your resolve will endure because you love God so much that it is a delight to your life to live out His will. That was the Apostle Paul. And that can be you. Let me pray that that would be so. Father, as we sing one more song, Lord, I pray that we would sing it, Lord, with the words of Acts 21 echoing in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, that we would understand that we hear and discern your will, Lord, as it is, as it is streaming into our hearts. And Lord, that that voice is prominent and that you will work internally to prepare us for anything externally we face. Lord, the secret of it all is to love you and do what we want. Love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you will pour those desires, your desires, into our hearts. And we get to those intersections and we're not going to need or demand or be paralyzed by a lack of information. There will be a transformation, and you will clearly set our path straight. So let us trust in you with all of our hearts. Lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, acknowledge you. You will make our path straight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.